0: T.S. Eliot once described how we may be committing, as he put it, the greater treason by doing the right thing for the wrong reason. So, what's the right reason? Are we doing it for the right reason? I want to share with you a solitary line from Holy Scripture. As we ponder that right reason. And as my friend Arnold Diaz takes his place here at the foot of the cross with his stepladder, he's going to climb the cross. He's going to paint the Christ. And so then, with an eye on, on what will grow before our worshiping hearts, but please, with an ear tuned to the Word of God, let's, let, let's wrestle. What would be the right reason? You say, well, wait a minute, Dwight. What are you talking about? The right reason for what? The right reason for the war in Iraq? The right reason for the career that I choose? The right reason for the woman that I've married? The right reason for the research I'm doing? The right reason for the choices I make? Which one of those? Well, actually, all of those, I suppose, could be, uh, could be woven into this, this moment of reflection. But I've got to tell you, I am thinking particularly... Of what would be the right reason for serving the poor. A single line from Holy Scripture. Because Elliot is clear we might be committing the greater treason by doing the right thing for the wrong reason. Take your Bible that you brought today. If you didn't bring a Bible, there's one for this brief homily, there's a Bible in the pew in front of you. A solitary line from the New Testament. Little book called Second Corinthians. Second Corinthians chapter eight. I want to reflect on this line for a moment with you. Second Corinthians chapter eight, the words of Saint Paul. Now I'm going to be in the New Living Translation. If you grab the Pew Bible, that's the New King James. Just follow along in that. Not putting anything on the screen. We're here just for a few moments. Second Corinthians chapter eight, verse nine. You know how full of love and kindness our Lord Jesus Christ was. I love this translation. Though he was very rich, yet for your sakes he became poor so that by his poverty he could make you rich. Ladies and gentlemen, take a look at the cross. Arnold's working on the cross. Take a look at that cross. Because it is at the cross that the God of the universe in Christ Jesus emptied his treasury to say a morally bankrupted and spiritually impoverished human race. At Calvary, Jesus broke God's bank for you and me. A second century preacher named Melito of Sardis graphically described what took place on Calvary. Look at the cross while I read these words now, 18, almost 1900 years old. Listen. He who hung the earth in its place hangs there. He who fixed the heavens is fixed there. He who made all things fast is made fast upon the tree. The master has been insulted. God has been murdered. The king of Israel has been slain by an Israelite and Roman hand. Oh, strange murder, Melito writes. Oh, strange crime. The master has been treated in unseemly fashion, his body naked, not even deemed worthy of a covering that his nakedness might not be seen. Therefore, the lights of heaven turned away and the day darkened that it might hide him who was stripped upon the cross." You know full well how full of love and kindness our Lord Jesus Christ was. Though He was very rich, yet for your sakes He became poor so that by His poverty He could make you rich. A voluntary, the ultimate impoverishment. And He did it for the likes of you and me. I, you know, I, I, cannot, I cannot grasp how our third millennial minds can possibly fathom the depth of that emptying 2,000 years ago. But at least, uh, ladies and gentlemen, we have to try. And so for the next few moments, do this with me. Think about it. Let the picture come into your mind. Imagine, please, a soggy cardboard and plastic bag amalgamation. Can you see it? Cardboard and plastic Propped up beside a filthy and putrid Calcutta gutter in the inner slums of that fetid city. There, you, you, you peer into the stinking, cramped, dingy interior and you realize, good nut, this is somebody's house, somebody's home. There huddled in a fetal position is the wasting, bony form of a man whose hollow eyes and sallow face stare back at you from above his protruding ribs and his rotting flesh. The few teeth he has left yellowed with decay as he pants to breathe. You're looking at him. You crawl into that hobbled hell hole, as it were, holding your breath from the stench of disease, rot. You stoop over. And you scoop up the bony, emaciated form of the semi-conscious dreg of humanity. And in your arms, you bear him out of that dying slum to a waiting black and yellow taxi. You race to the Calcutta airport, carrying this gangrene stranger. You board the 747. You strap him into the seat beside you. A half a world away, and 20 hours later... You land in Chicago. You drive here to Berrien Springs and still bearing that still foul form of a man in your arms. You come walking into your home. You say, well, you know what my home is? It's a dormitory room. That's it. You come walking into your room, into your apartment, into your, your uh, mobile home, into your towering brick mansion. You come into where you live. You carry him. And you place him there in your room, your home, and there you bathe him. There you cleanse him. There you robe him. There you feed him. There you bed him down, this emaciated stranger, in your soft, clean bed for the night. And in the morning, when his bewildered eyes finally register the reality of the opulence, you say, look at Dwight, it's only a dormitory room. It is opulent to him. And when he drinks in, the reality of that opulence that now surrounds him, you do. Get this. You do a most unthinkable thing. You know what you do? In your hands, you've got them. You have keys. The keys to your room... Keys to your house, keys to your car, keys to your SUV, keys to your boat, keys to your pantry. You have keys in your hands. Also in your hands, you have remotes. The remote to your stereo, the remote to your VCR, the remote to your big screen TV. Also in your hand, you have a file folder. In that file folder are the the account numbers of your checking account, your savings account, your credit cards, and your stock portfolio, which, of course, isn't worth much anymore. With your hands loaded... You kind of motion because your hands are full. You motion to your room and to your house. And you point to it all as you heap upon the astonished bosom of this rapidly recovering stranger all of those keys, remotes, your file. One last time, you shake his hand. Maybe you, you step up to his bony shoulders and you hug him. And then you do another Amazing thing. You take off your clothes. And once you have stripped of your clothes, you pick up his putrid, sticky loincloth that you removed the night before and you wrap yourself in that loincloth. And with a final nod to him, you walk out of your room clutching only the return portion of the stranger's round-trip ticket that you bought him in the first place. You board another 747. You fly a universe away A half a world around. And when you land back at Calcutta, now you have to walk. You have no money. There will be no taxi. Hours and hours and hours later, you come straggling into the very slum where you just were with that stranger not very long ago. You, to find it, it is by the retching smell that you recognize where the stranger's still rotten cardboard leaned to beside the putrid gutter is you find it and you do what he did, what he has done all his life. You crawl into that abysmal hole and curling into a fetal position. You now live out the rest of your days on earth in the awful misery of that abandoned filth. Now, what about the stranger? The stranger you rescue. Hey, he now possesses, Everything of yours, you gave it to him. And you now possess everything of his, he gave it to you. Your riches are now and forever his. His poverty is now and forever yours. My God! My God! Why have you forsaken me? Oh, you know how full of love and kindness our Lord Jesus Christ was. Though he was very rich, yet for your sakes he became poor so that by his poverty he could make you rich. In that book that is the classic on the life of Christ desire ages, I believe it's page 25. These words. Christ was treated as we deserve, that we might be treated as He deserves. He was condemned for our sins in which He had no share, that we might be justified by His righteousness in which we had no share. He suffered the death which was ours, that we might receive the life which was His with His stripes. With His stripes, we are healed. So why should we who are so poor and needy love and serve the poor and needy? The reason could hardly be clearer. And that is simply because the Jesus who became poor for us has called us to become poorer for them. That's it. All semester long, we have wrestled with God's compelling teaching to love the needy and to serve the poor. What's the right reason? The right reason is here. There. You're looking at it. Look at that cross. That's the reason. Right there. Jesus said, Follow me. And as much as I have done this to you, you ought to do this to them. Come to think of it, ladies and gentlemen. When we follow Him, we shall never commit the greater treason. For when we follow Christ, we shall do the right thing. We shall always do the right thing for the right reason. Let us pray. Oh, Jesus, freely, look at that, Jesus, freely we have received from You. Now, freely, let us give for You to them of the riches of Calvary that today we now joyfully and gratefully receive from you. Amen.